Hello, and welcome back to The Athletic's Power Rankings Podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter for The Athletic. And I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor at The Athletic. And now we are through Wildcard Weekend. Um, and we're going to do things a little bit differently today because we do not have a new edition of the NFL Power Rankings. I'm sorry if you've missed our gifts today, but we're not re-ranking the teams after Wildcard Weekend. <laughs> Although I think if we were, I think it'd be fair to say that the Patriots and Saints would probably be falling. But we are now <laughs> through Wildcard Weekend. It was um, it was pretty fun. I was in New Orleans for the Vikings' big upset of the Saints. And uh, later we're going to look a little bit ahead to the divisional round, um, and we're going to get into all of those wildcard weekend games. But before we get back into what happened Saturday and Sunday, we really have to talk about what's been a really crazy couple of days in the head coaching carousel. And we have to talk about the three jobs that have been filled since Monday morning. So to recap, the Cowboys finally on Sunday night during the Eagles game, by the way, which was such a savage move, uh, <laughs> announced that it. they wouldn't be bringing back Jason Garrett. And by mid morning on Monday, they had already hired Mike McCarthy, the former head coach of the Green Bay Packers, to replace Garrett. So that was the first domino to fall. Uh, and it seemed like the other teams with openings were kind of waiting for Jerry Jones to make the first move. And he did. And he did it very quickly after finally announcing that, that Garrett wouldn't return. So then on Tuesday, the Panthers also moved pretty quickly to hire Baylor's Matt Rule by offering him a seven-year, $60 million contract. Rule is believed to be the top candidate for the Giants job as well. So David Tepper flew to Waco and got the deal done there before the Giants could make their offer. And now, Lindsay, tell us about the shocking news that the Giants did this morning when instead of Matt Rule, they hired someone that none of us had really known much about before today. Yeah, yeah Tuesday morning was really wild. It was one of those kind of like really fun news cycles in the NFL where, you know, I guess it's not fun if you're like the beat writer for the New York Giants, as we're going to uh, find out very shortly when we talk to Dan Duggan of The Athletic New York. But um, yeah, like almost as soon as the Panthers announced that they had hired Matt Rule, there was kind of this panic about like, oh, crap, now what are the Giants going to do? That was their guy. And they came out and they shocked all of us by announcing that they were hiring Joe judge to be Crickets. their new head coach. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I I know the name Joe Judge, but I did not have the I don't have a deep knowledge base of, you know, who this guy is. Yeah, no, I immediately so I Googled him. I'm putting it out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I, who I would, is that? <laughs> I would love to see the Google analytics of like how many people at, you know, 11 a.m. Eastern today were Googling who is Joe Judge. And, you know, the background real quick. Joe Judge is um Technically, his title with the New New England Patriots this year was the wide receivers coach. But more accurately, the way to describe him is that he's kind of a long, long time for a guy who's 38. But he's he's been a special teams coach um, in the NFL and for the University of Alabama for a really long time. This year, he added wide receivers to his coaching duties. It's very similar to um, John Harbaugh's path before he became a head coach, where he was a longtime special teams coach. Um, with the Eagles, Andy Reid started giving him more position coach responsibilities to help prepare him to become a head coach. Um, he is relatively young. He just turned 38 last week. Um, and all the reports out of New England is that this guy is really respected there by Bill Belichick. Um, Belichick had been grooming him to take on bigger jobs. But I think we all, you know, a lot of us kind of assumed that if there was going to be a Patriots offensive assistant who got a head coaching job um, this week, and who knows, it might still happen, but it was going to be Josh McDaniels, who I believe was a candidate for the Giants as well. But instead, the the the, the Giants kind of really made the stunning move. They went with Joe Judge. Maybe it's a year early. 
Um, maybe they just loved his job interview. Maybe they they didn't want him to leave to go to Mississippi State, where the reports out on Tuesday that Joe Judge was the favorite to be the new Mississippi State head coach. That's his alma mater, where he was a special teams player um, at Mississippi State in the early 2000s. So, you know, to get into all of this about the Giants job, um, we're going to talk to the Athletic New York, Dan Duggan, about the Giants move here in a couple minutes. But first, I think we really need to get into this Cowboys situation a lot more. Um, and to do that, we're going to bring in our producer, Kent Garrison, who usually is back there pushing all the <laughs> buttons. But Kent um, previously worked, worked in digital media for the Dallas Cowboys for seven years all during the Jason Garrett era, um, still lives in Dallas. So there's like nobody more plugged into what's going on there um, with the Cowboys right now than Kent. So um, Kent, we're super excited to have you on the podcast today. <laughs> Thanks. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hi, Kent. It's, good to, it's good to be here finally. You know, I feel like I've been here, but I haven't really been here, you know. It's always well, you, there. You're always there in our hearts and in our heads, <laughs> yeah. but now you're actually on the mic too. Thank so you. we're, we're Thank super you. excited. Um, so Take us into all of this that kind of went on in Dallas. It was such a weird week. Yeah. Um, and why do you ultimately think that Mike McCarthy is the guy that Jerry Jones ended up wanting? Uh, you know, only in Dallas does the, the <laughs> things like this happen. Only in Dallas do you keep a coach and fire a coach. And only in Dallas do you have five meetings with a guy who you already have decided you're moving on from. Uh, only in Dallas do you maybe let that guy convince you to let him stay despite the lack of success. I mean, uh, really, for the Jones family, it really is just that. It's the family around Dallas, and that's the way they run the organization. They run it uh, like, uh, you know, with brothers and sisters, and they really felt like uh, Jason Garrett was a part of their family. So, you know, as much as it hurt them to move on from Jason Garrett, they did what they had to do. I really do feel like they they listened to the fan base, and they looked at the results. They were pretty objective about the decision that they made. Um, if it came down to relationships only, Jason Garrett would still be the coach of the Cowboys. They love Jason Garrett, and Jerry Jones wanted nothing more than for Philly to lose that game in New York and for them to cruise on into the playoffs and and give him every indication that things are looking up around here and to keep Jason Garrett around. But that wasn't the case, and they had to move on. And it's just funny how it happened where you know you're re- you get a report on Thursday that they fired him, and but there's nothing official, so he might still have the job. And then, uh, you know, they officially make it, uh, you know, but, but meanwhile, they're interviewing coaches at the same time while the guy's still employed and they're bringing guys to the office and Jason's there the whole time. And it's a very weird, very weird thing. And so, you know, it got to be awkward for Jason Garrett. But at the same time, he knows what he was, knew what he was getting himself into with, with the Cowboys and, and loves every minute of it and would, would rather not be anywhere else. But in terms of Mike McCarthy, you know, uh, the ultimate reason why I think he he got the job is minimizing risk. Uh, Jerry Jones, at the, st- the stage of his life that he's in, he does not want to bring in a young gun college coach who's unproven and have them flame out and ruin this window that they have with these players. I mean, I think ultimately one of the main reasons Jason got fired was this is, you know, Jerry said before the season, Steven said, this is the best team they've ever had on paper, um, talent-wise, maybe since they won the Super Bowl in 96. So, you know, all that being said, for them not to make the, even make the playoffs with this team is a complete, uh, you know, underachieve, you know, lack of, I, I don't know, uh, anything successful that you can think of. I mean, it's just an abomination, really. And uh, Mike McCarthy is a guy who's won a Super Bowl who has the respect of, of the players, you know, Randall Cobb, guys like that have, have been with McCarthy. And so I think he's just somebody who can come in here and keep the train going. 
not change too many things around, you know, maybe bring one or two of his guys in here and, and kind of keep this thing steady. You know, I don't think this team needs drastic changes. They just need a, a coach who has been there before and knows what needs to change. And so Mike McCarthy seemed like he was the guy from, from early on, even though, you know, the fan base probably wanted a Lincoln Riley or, or somebody like that to, to get the gig. Yeah. So speaking of the fan base, uh, what's the reaction been like in Dallas over the last day or so after this news came through? Uh, are people excited? Are they skeptical <laughs> of the move? How, how's yeah, everyone yeah. feeling in Dallas? It's funny you say that because, you know, I felt like from right when the thing was announced that everybody was was down on it. And, mm-hmm. and so we did our podcast about them Cowboys here on The Athletic and we talked about it. And, you know, we've had we have people that uh, follow the Packers very closely on our podcast and say, here's why you don't want Mike McCarthy. Here's the scheme he runs. He's a we we know what we do kind of guy. He doesn't embrace analytics, all these things. And uh, we felt like the, the fan base felt that way. But then we're getting tweets like this is a great hire. You know, why didn't you all say this was a great hire? And, you know, really, all we we're doing is reporting our opinion at the end of the day. But I feel like it's really kind of mixed. I feel like it's kind of 50-50 of people that say, okay, this is a guy who's won a championship, um, who's dealt with egotistical players, a guy who's won at AT&T Stadium in high-stakes scenarios, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl and against the Cowboys. And so I can see why uh, people will be excited about it. But also at the same time, I can see why people say this is just Jason Garrett. This is a yes man who is going to come in here and uh, just do what he does, and he's not going to really innovate much at all. And I think the fans really want like a Sean McVay offense. They want like mm-hmm. the young, hot coordinator to come in here and turn Dak Prescott into Lamar Jackson. And I just don't think Dak Prescott is Lamar Jackson. You know, I just think you need yeah. somebody yeah. who cannot screw up the uh, the game like Jason Garrett did and mismanage the clock and. Uh, and not really connect with the players on a level that you want to. Uh, you know, I think Jason is a, is a good game man, or not game manager, but a good manager of like teams of people. But I don't think he's like a very personal guy. You know, I don't think he has that personal connection like you would have maybe with a, a Mike, uh, Mike Tomlin or a Bill Parcells or these guys that really connect with their, their personnel. So I think you get a little bit more of that with McCarthy. But man, it's in Dallas, it's about 50 50. But I would say the majority of the people, are pissed because they well, they wanted Jerry to at least talk to one of these guys before they made a decision. It really feels like, um, you know, before the college season's even over, they've got their guy. And uh, I think maybe the fans wanted a little bit more of a wide look at uh, what's out there. Yeah, I mean, because really it was, you know, it was Mike McCarthy and Marvin Lewis, yeah. right? I mean, that was really, I mean, he really <laughs> narrowed his search to guys with extensive head coaching experience, guys that he's comfortable with. And now it looks like Mike McCarthy is bringing in um, Mike Nolan Mm -hmm. to be his defensive coordinator. I mean, it's like we got in a time capsule and went back to, you know, 2005 (laughs) or something where, you know, it's, it's not where the future of the NFL is necessarily going. That doesn't mean he got it wrong. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I hate these like judge the let's, let's give an immediate grade type of reaction to these moves. But, you know, when you look at the way that a, the, a lot of the rest of the NFL is going. Some of the coaching hires that have worked recently. Um, this is this is not what uh, Jerry Jones opted to do. But that's the thing with the Cowboys. It's always up to Jerry, and Jerry gets to do what Jerry wants to do. 
Um, and, you know, I guess it just didn't seem like an exciting hire there. You know, that was a spot where, like, I wanted to see some innovation. Yeah. And I wanted to see them maybe take a chance on um, a younger, more unproven guy with new ideas, new philosophies. And look, maybe Mike McCarthy has some new ideas and philosophies. Maybe he really has been studying the college game and getting into analytics and is going to do things um, a lot differently and than, than he did kind of at the end of his his time in Green Bay, where things, I think, really had just run run their course there. And, you know, has obviously didn't have a good relationship with Aaron Rodgers by the end. But I think, you know, maybe that's... Um, a little more understandable, yeah. but and I, I think um, the Cowboys kind of think they have their guy in Kellen Moore, their young innovator. And yeah, and, but do you think he's going to stay? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a rumor he he might go be the OC at Washington. He could go to Washington. Um, yeah, I know I Boise mean, State Mike, is probably beating down his door to come be the coach there. But I mean, if he's really trying to be a head coach in the NFL, uh, um, I think maybe if Mike McCarthy gives him a little bit more freedom, you know, that was always Jason Garrett's uh, complaint was. Okay, yeah, he's got Kellen Moore, but it's still Jason Garrett coaching the team, and he's working under Jason Garrett's mantra. You know, maybe if Kellen Moore has a little bit more freedom to innovate, uh, that could really make this offense shine. But uh, well, you know, ultimately we'll have to see. But but yeah, I'm interested in a Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy offense and what that could be. Yeah, I mean, if I'm Kellen Moore, I want to call plays. Mm-hmm. I think he's earned that right out of what yeah. he did in his one year as an offensive coordinator. And if McCarthy says no, I'm calling plays then right. Kellen Moore should bounce. But, yes. um, you know, because it really is about calling plays and that's what's going to, you know, for, for the most part, that's what gets you a yeah. job at the next level. Um, and I think there's unfortunately some um, other coaching candidates that are not getting looks and some yeah. sort of um, yeah issues. They there. just have like, a, we're going to need to talk about Eric the enemy um, at another point. Um, we'll yeah. see what happens with the Browns, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's really interesting. It was not necessarily where I expected it was going to go. I mean, I think if like, I think if the Browns would have hired Mike McCarthy, I would have been like, perfect. That's exactly the type of guy that they need. But then the Cowboys do. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh, I'm, I'm okay. honestly surprised they didn't give urban Meyer more of a chance. And maybe they did. Maybe they talked to him. Maybe they did their due diligence there, but I just think like that guy's won everywhere he's been, you know, and he he is a Jerry. He's a Jerry kind of guy. And he's in Ezekiel Elliott, you know, he knows him and has played for him. And I feel like you could really he could really be a guy that goes comes to the NFL and and shakes things up. And maybe, like I said, they just want to play it safe. They want to be no worse than eight and eight. And I think the hiring Mike McCarthy is like you're guaranteeing yourself at least competing in this division, you know, and, and I think it's just about maximizing these players in this window of the next three to five with Dak and Zeke and Amari, uh, if they get Amari signed or, or Dak signed or whatever. But man, as, to wrap this up, uh, y'all, it's just so funny, the, the sleepover thing, you know, like only in Dallas does, do, do you have the coach sleepover at your house? And it just reminded me of when, um, when Lyle Collins came out and had that, all that legal yeah. issue yeah how he just called lyle collins and was like hey come to dallas come to dinner and they just ate dinner at jerry's house and like he invited the rest of the o-line there and jerry was able to just schmooze his way into a basically a top 10 pick by inviting a guy and just being personable and you know showing hospitality but that's the way they do business yeah it reminded me of um, when peyton manning was a free agent back in 2012 and he kind of went on this like odyssey all around the country he like stayed with people that he knew each place mm-hmm. like he stayed at ken wisenhunt's house in arizona and he might have even stayed with jim harbaugh when he went to the niners and then in denver he stayed with brandon stokely at brandon <laughs> stokely's house and then like went to the park with 
Stokely and Stokely's son to like run routes, like to like make sure he could throw because he didn't know if he could throw. Uh, but so, yeah, I mean, it, it happens from time to time. But just the image of like Jerry Jones and them like, you know, strolling down in their pajamas. It, having coffee. Just him being like, <laughs> so I'm in a hotel. Just come over to my place. Yeah. And Mike's like, no, I think I'll get a hotel. No, 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 no. I insist. Come to my place. <laughs> Uh, you can wear my pajamas. <laughs> Do you think he had a hotel and he just like wouldn't let him leave? And, like, I'm sure they put him up at the Omni. Like, I'm sure they put him up at the Omni. And, uh, they, they literally have an Omni hotel at their facility in Dallas. But uh, they, I'm sure it was like a, we don't want anyone to see you, and, you know, and yeah. talk to you yeah. and all that. And yeah, because he's very recognizable. So I think it was more about keeping it, trying to keep it as under wraps as possible. Than, yeah, and it's not like he has like a studio apartment. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's got he had his wing. He has his own. Yeah, he, yeah. Wing McCarthy was sleeping house. under Norman Rockwell. So he was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was fine. Well, thank you so much, Kent, for joining <laughs> thank us. You. Um, Kent, where, where can we hear that Cowboys podcast if we want, if people want to hear yeah. more about this? this yeah, we're going to be doing it uh, all off season. Hopefully, when news breaks, uh, it's on The Athletic, About Them Cowboys on Athletic and iTunes. All right. And yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Kent. And now let's get into that other NFC East team that made a major move today, the New York Giants. And to do that, we're joined now by Dan Duggan, the Giants beat writer for The Athletic New York. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on what I'm sure has been a really busy day for you. Yeah, it's been a few twists and turns uh, so far today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this was the biggest surprise that's happened so far in this 2020 coaching cycle. So what was your initial reaction um, on Tuesday morning when this news broke that Joe Judge is going to be the Giants' new head coach. Yeah, well, I think you have to back it up because I, I woke up Tuesday morning thinking they're probably going to have a, uh, a head coaching hire by the end of the day. The only problem is I thought it was going to be Matt Rule. And, uh, you know, as <laughs> yep. we came to find out, he never even made it uh, to New Jersey for his interview because, uh, you know, David Tepper backed up the Brinks truck and, uh, and, and nailed that one down. So um, then you're scrambling to figure out, you know, what's next? Is it going to be, you know, because Mike McCarthy was another option and obviously he's gotten gobbled up. So, uh, you started scrambling a little bit and going through the list of candidates and, you know, Josh McDaniels was lined up to interview on Wednesday and you're starting to say, oh, maybe he's going to be the guy. And then, you know, before you could even really start, you know, uh, chasing down too many leads, all of a sudden, boom, Joe Judge. And, um, you know, I've come to know a lot about Joe Judge in the last four or five hours, however long it's been <laughs> since the, the hire, you know, what was first reported. But uh, definitely not a guy I knew a lot about. Uh, uh, certainly a week ago, but even once this process started, it just kind of felt like uh, I don't want to, you know, say a throw-in, but it just, you know, you looked at the resumes of the other candidates and, um, you know, far more well-known and established guys. So it just was like, oh, you know, they're giving a look to a guy a little outside the box, and, and then again, you just didn't see, you know, things, you know, shoes kind of started dropping, and you know, as we know, these these searches are sort of musical chairs, and um, he obviously really impressed the Giants brass when he met with them on Monday. And once Matt Rule, you know, was staying with the the Panthers, they, they acted fast and, um, you know, snatched him up. So, like I said, I'm still learning about him as we as we speak. And um, that makes it interesting because if it was Mike McCarthy. There's not a lot of meat left on that bone. But with Joe Judge, he's uh, he's kind of an open book at this point in his career. So, Dan, when you wrote about the Giants head coaching candidates recently, you called Joe Judge the dark horse candidate, which makes sense given his career path to this point. So why do you think he ultimately was the guy that the Mayors and the Tishes and, and Dave Gettleman picked, especially when you know you mentioned Josh McDaniels? He's still out there. Do you think they didn't think they'd be able to land that guy or did they really just feel like this guy was the perfect fit? I, I think we're all trying to figure out why they why this was the decision that they made. Right, right. And it's always tough to sort of like, you know, report on these sort of after the fact because 
it's, you know, every team gets their first choice when you ask them, you know, at the introductory right. press conference. So um, you have to wade through. So there's some misdirections and some spins. Um, you know, I, like everyone else, really thought Matt Rule was their top candidate. Now it becomes semantics did, you know, when he calls to see if, um, you know, they want to match Carolina's offer, which of course was, you know, through the roof. Did then Joe Judge start to look better or did Joe Judge look better before they got that call? That's, you know, we'll never get a real, you know, true answer on that. But um, clearly when they say, sat down with Joe Judge on Monday, um, you know, he knocked that interview out of the park. And you have to keep in mind, this is the first time he's ever interviewed for an NFL head coaching job. So it's not like he's some guy who's yeah. on the circuit and uh, and sort of knows what questions are coming and, and knows exactly, you know, what owners want to hear. Because, I mean, he'd never even been through the process. So he, he certainly... Uh, had to come in well prepared. It'll be interesting to see as you know more details um, come out about his plan because again we just really don't you know know a lot. You know Mike McCarthy did a whole media tour. Um, you know I remember Josh McDaniels the last go around. There was a lot said about everything he learned from Denver. Um, some of these coordinators who are a little more well known. I feel like have done interviewed and you kind of know um, you know the approach they're going to take to being a head coach. But you know Joe Judge came from so far off the radar that. Um, you know, we're just piecing it together. I mean, the, the biggest thing we really know is he came up under Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. So he has a pretty good, um, you know, set of mentors there. Um, but even by coming up through those guys, we know even less about him because they're not, you know, letting their assistants, yeah. you know, talk to the media all the time. So, uh, like I said, he's really an open book as far as what the public knows about him. And um, like I said, my my task will be to, to get to know as much as I can. Um, but I, the one thing I've heard from just reaching out to a few people just initially is like super detail oriented, super intense. I mean, it really sounds kind of like a chip off the block of guys like Belichick and Saban. I'm not saying, you know, he'll have the same exact personality, but the in, term, in terms of just the approach to the job, I mean, I think he's going to be very intense. Um, you know, he's going to be one of those guys who's probably sleeping in the office and just constantly, you know, just grinding away. And then I think that that's, uh, you know, the environment he kind of grew up in this industry. And I assume that's what he'll... Um, you know, carry over now that he's running his own shop. Well, they've the, the Giants have been through this recently. I mean, they have it's a very un-Giants like, but they've been kind of churning through head coaches um, every two years or so now. Um, so I think it's fair to kind of scrutinize the way that this has all happened. So how do you think that kind of the brain trust handled this coaching search? Were there any um, kind of key moments or errors or, you know, how do you think this thing all played out knowing that, you know, it's only been four or five hours since it's been <laughs> right, completed. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it depends on, you know, if all the, you know, the tea leaf reading and the reporting and everything that Rule was their guy, if you just kind of, you know, back it up to the Sugar Bowl, he wasn't going to do any interviews for that. And then, you know, it's funny, he said he was going on vacation in Mexico before that game. And I kind of thought, oh, yeah, sure, we'll see if that happens. And then he really went. <laughs> he really went away for a couple of days, which uh, speaks to him as a family man. But um, so then a lot of times it obviously is about the order of the interviews and, you know, for whatever reason, Carolina, uh, you know, got the first spot and the Giants were left, you know, in the on-deck circle and never got up to bat. Um, so I don't know if there was some miscalculation or if, you know, Rule put the interviews in the order of where he wanted to go more. You know, you, again, it's one of those deals where we'll never really get a straight answer because nobody involved um, benefits from, you know, saying, well, actually, I wanted this to happen, but this happened instead. So, um, that, you know, that's a, that's a tough one to answer. Mike McCarthy... You know, there's reports that they wanted to bring him back for a second interview. And then, you know, Jerry Jones had the sleepover and, and that never happened. So, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you say that they're dragging their feet. Were they being deliberate? I mean, everything is is so based on perspective. I mean, listen, all it's really going to matter is, is if Joe Judge 
um, you know, becomes like Bill Belichick, no one's going to care about this process. If he becomes yep. the next, you know, Matt Patricia or Romeo Cornell or Charlie Weiss or whoever, then you're going to say, well, you know, they, they missed her. And I don't, I shouldn't even say just the Belichick tree. If he becomes the next Pat Shermer, you'll say they missed. So, um, you know, process is definitely important, but these coaching searches, it's just so many moving pieces and it's a two way street. Like did, did Matt rule, maybe it was always going to be the Panthers and, and it wasn't about the money. We, it's hard to really sit here and, and analyze every aspect of it because we just don't know. I mean, we're not in those rooms. They're tight circles. And um, even the stuff that leaks out a lot of times, as we know, it's a spin being put on it. And um, so we don't know. Did the, are the Giants walking away disappointed that they got Joe Judge? No, I'm sure they're very excited. They certainly still had other options and they believe he is the best one available, whether they thought he was the best one on the market. Again, we'll never know. But I, I think that they're going to be very excited and they must have seen something. Uh, that suggests that this guy is on an upward trajectory and maybe they got a rising star. Whereas, you know, to the Giants, a lot of times they kind of play it safe. So if nothing else, they're, they're kind of swinging for the fences with this hire. So obviously it's still very early on in this process, but what do you think Joe Judge's staff uh, will look like, especially at offensive coordinator and those who will be asked to really develop Daniel Jones? Do you think that Jason Garrett is a realistic option there? There have been some rumors about that. Uh, do you think that could be an option? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge question. It was going to be a huge catch with Matt Rule. I mean, um, if you're going to take a first-time head coach, first-time NFL head coach, um, you need to probably surround yourself with some established guys. So you wouldn't want to hear uh, – again, I'm not, I did so much research on Rule. You wouldn't want to hear he's just bringing his Baylor staff because you, there'd be some holes there, the guys who have been at this level. Now, with Joe Judge, he's been in the NFL for you know a number of years, but always just with the Patriots. And I don't see that staff you know jetting to you know join him with the Giants who – I guess we'll find out, you know, sort of how deep his uh, his Rolodex is. Um, you know, you mentioned Jason Garrett. That that caused, uh, you know, alarms to go off in this area when uh, it was reported <laughs> that the Giants requested to talk to him. And we come to find out it was for the OC role. I think, you know, Giants fans will look at that a little differently. Nobody was very excited about the prospect of him being the head coach. But, I mean, I, I think he's certainly qualified to be an offensive coordinator. And especially when you talk about, you know, working with a guy like Daniel Jones, you know, Garrett's background, that would probably be a good hire for a number of reasons. And again, because Joe Judge is not going to be calling the offensive plays. This isn't, you know, Sean McVay or Kyle Shannon. I mean, he's going to need to trust his offense and defensive coordinators. Um, so you'd like to not take another risk. You know, he's a risk. You don't want to start, you know, trying to um, go too far outside the box. I think you want a couple solid coordinators who, you know, are proven. So, you know, Gary would check that box. Another guy who, you know, this is just sort of connecting dots, Chad O'Shea who was the Dolphins offensive coordinator, you know, got fired there and, you know, is available. Obviously has a, uh, a history of Judge. The reason why Judge got promoted to wide receivers coach of the Patriots yeah. is because O'Shea left from Miami. So uh, I don't know what their relationship is like, but that would be a guy that, you know, again, has, has done it at this level. And you would think there's some, you know, relationship there. Um, but other than that, you know, it's so early in the process. You could just, we could just throw names out like Wade Phillips. Hey, it's an experienced defensive coordinator. I have no idea if, you know, his philosophies would align with, with Joe Judge. Uh, wants to do and I just keep coming back to this point we just really don't know a heck of a lot about yeah. Joe Judge the head coach because um, you know he came so far off the radar and um, you know I'm sure in the coming days we'll get a chance to talk to him and, and pick his brain but even at that um, you know it's it's really gonna be interesting to see how this process unfolds because I'm sure he went into that interview you know with a binder or a PowerPoint or whatever you know the first 50 things he'll do as head coach uh, we just don't know what what those things are and we'll have to see how they play out. It must have been a hell of an interview. Seriously. That's all I could. I like it must have been really, really impressive. I mean, it, the one thing that I keep kind of thinking of a little bit is the um, the Sean McVay interview with the Rams a couple years ago, where they went into that not thinking that he was going to be their guy, and 
the further that interview went along, they knew that he had to be their guy. And there was a lot of these kind of same questions of like, well, who is this guy? What's his staff going to look like? Hey, he's so young. He doesn't have the experience, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, that's best case scenario, yeah. I think, in this situation. But, you know, sometimes sometimes it works and a guy just can, can blow your socks off in an interview. And um, and then there's some guys that you think are the right name and they come in and they blow their interview. So um, I don't know. My DMs have been kind of interesting with some Giants fans that I know. I can only imagine what your mentions and emails and uh, DMs look like right now. So thank you so much, Dan, for joining us today. Um, we're going to be really interested to follow all of your reporting on the Giants and their new head coach. Um, a reminder, you can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan or DDuggan21 and all of his coverage at The Athletic New York. And make sure you listen to his Giants podcast. It's called The New York Football Podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. So thank you, Dan, so much. And uh, we'll talk to you again another time. Yeah, come uh, come learn about Joe Judge with me. It'll be an interactive experience. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dan. <laughs> All right, so before we dive into these awesome wildcard weekend games, let's talk about DraftKings. The second week of the playoffs is upon us. The bad news is that there's only a few more weeks left in the football season, but the good news is you can still get your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. And if you've never played before, there's even more to celebrate. You can play for a $1 million top prize this weekend. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch means more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at the $1 million top prize. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. With only the best football teams left, there's no better time to be playing. So download the DraftKings app now and use code RUN. That's R-U-N, RUN. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. Remember, that's code RUN, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so now we're going to get into the wild card weekend games. It was a really fun weekend. There were a ton of really close games. They were weird. They were exciting. Two of them went to overtime, and we saw two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, make early and unexpected playoff exits. So, Lindsay, did you have a favorite game from the, that very uh, intriguing slate? Yeah. Well, as as I mentioned earlier, I was I was at the Vikings. Um, Saints game in New Orleans. So, you know, I wrote about that one. That was the one that I was kind of most invested in because I saw it. But as I've gone back, as I was watching them live, and then as I've gone back over the last day or so and have been re-watching everything, um, it, that Patriots-Titans game was just really, really, really interesting. And there were some really kind of crazy moments. And obviously, it was just such a huge, um, kind of a huge upset. And, you know, I just... I, I feel like we maybe should have saw it coming a little bit more. Um, I had a lot of questions in my subscriber Q&A on Friday, like about if the Titans could win. And I think every time I answered it, like, I think they can win. Yes, but I'm not going to bet on that. I just I, I think matchups wise, it made a lot of sense that the way that the Titans have been playing, the style that they like to play. Um, how, just how physical they are and then just how limited the Patriots offense has really been over the last few weeks. I thought it made sense that the Titans could win. I just had just had such a hard time envisioning it actually happening. And then to watch it play out and to see the Titans really um, 
you know, it's not like they dominated the game. They didn't blow them out. I mean, they were winning 14 to 13 with, what, 15 seconds left before, you know, Tom Brady ultimately threw that pick six that made it a seven-point game at the end. You know, but it just, it felt like most of the game that the Titans were could actually win it and were actually going to win it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a little concerning, I guess, if you're looking at the Titans' future that they put up, what, 200 200 plus rushing yards or total scrimmage yards for Derrick Henry and they could still only score 14 points. I mean, that's they're going to be a little limited when they have to face the Ravens this week, potentially the Chiefs, you know, teams that score a lot more points than the Patriots do. But um, it was, you know, it was just a really, really interesting matchup. And it just showed just how limited the Patriots are and the concerns that maybe we had about the Patriots over the last part of the season really playing out in these big moments. I think we just all had this assumption that they'd somehow get it together to at least win one home game. You know, I and it just didn't and it just didn't happen. They didn't have they don't have the offensive weapons. Brady doesn't have guys he can trust. Um nobody's getting open and even the guys that they think they can trust and Julian Edelman weren't able to pull through. I mean, Edelman had a huge drop um late in the fourth quarter that really would have put them in position to, you know, extend a potential scoring drive and it didn't happen and and here we are now facing these major, major questions um, about Tom Brady. So, Amy, what was your takeaway from that game? What was it? What was it like watching that for you? Well, I'm just going to pat the both of us on the back because all year we were kind of the ones, at least as of late, who were skeptical <laughs> about the Patriots and everybody else kept ranking them continuously like very high on the power rankings like they stayed at number one for a lot longer than I think we thought they might have deserved and uh, you and I were always kind of skeptical and we saw why we were so skeptical kind of unfold in front of our eyes and I thought a very um, funny and interesting moment was when Mike Vrabel kind of Bill Belichick to Bill Belichick uh, with yes. the you know the weird kind of took the delay of game and they kind of started playing mind games with the clock Bill Belichick had done the same thing against the Jets in a blowout this year um, and Vrabel used that used that against him. And I actually thought that that was going to backfire. I thought that, you know, taking up that much time and then thinking that, you know, that I thought we were going to see what we've always seen, which is the Patriots were going to drive down and score. And then the Titans weren't going to have enough time because they kept taking all these weird penalties to burn the clock. But it didn't happen. And, and kind of like you said, I, I think we were so convinced that the Patriots are just going to come back and and get it done and they they weren't able to and they they weren't very good um um over the weekend and i think that we saw a team that had a lot of flaws and now a lot of questions left with as you wrote about Lindsay, a bit in your piece uh, that focused also on drew Brees about what's going to happen with tom brady now you know is he going to want to come back are they going to pay him to come back there there are a lot of questions there and we kind of if that was the end of the belichick brady dynasty that we've seen for so long uh, it was a kind of weird and dull ending to a, an extraordinary partnership. Yeah. I mean, you look at it. I don't think they're, I mean, they were fatal flaws this year. I mean, they were, yeah. the issues that they had were very clear and they were concerns that were going to kind of haunt them now, but I don't think they're things that are not fixable moving into the future. If they can resolve things with Tom Brady and make it work, get over whatever ego issues are there. You know, I understand why it would be intriguing for Tom Brady to, look at the free agent market because he's never done that before. Um, but I think ultimately this is the best place for him, um, you know, at, at his age, given the familiarity he has there with the coaching staff, with ownership, um, all that sort of stuff. I think it makes the most sense that they figure out a way to financially make him happy in the short term and really focus on making them better because, you know, 
it's been very well established how you can win with an older quarterback. I mean, I, I live in Denver. I've watched I watched how the Broncos did it with John Elway when Elway was late in his career in the late 90s. And certainly what they did around um, Peyton Manning and, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the early to the early to mid 2000s. And um, it's not what the Patriots have done. The Patriots this year, you know, I think they thought that they were their defense would be good enough to get them by and. Ultimately, it wasn't. And they really just ignored the rest of the weapons. And, you know, they, you know, maybe they thought Antonio Brown was going to be the guy, but they've known since week two, at the end of week two, that um, Antonio Brown wasn't going to be their answer. And they tried with Mohamed Sanu and then he got hurt. And then in the big moments, he actually wasn't very reliable. And, you know, they they really need to make some solid investments um, around Tom Brady. And I think they would be right back, you know, in, in the conversation you know, certainly be the favorite to win the AFC East again. So um, really just really, really interesting, but still stunning. You know, it's still even though I think we could all envision ways that the Patriots were going to lose this year and that they weren't probably going to win the Super Bowl. It still felt shocking to watch it actually happen in wildcard weekend and to watch it happen against the Titans and not against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs right. or against Lamar Jackson and um, and the Titans. I mean, I was watching the game on my phone with four fellow NFL writers um, the other night, and we all were like, holy crap, I can't believe this is happening, just because it's just so, you know, to, you don't expect to see Brady in that situation, and, and there it was. So I thought that was, um, it was the most, you know, I guess the biggest game of Saturday. I mean, Bill's Texans was interesting and weird. And it was like a really fun way to start the afternoon, I think, because especially the way the Bills opened the game, scoring a touchdown on their opening drive with that trick play. Um, but Amy, what, what did you think of the Texans coming out of that game? Um, what were your impressions of Deshaun Watson? And um, what do you think, you know, real quick about potentially their matchup now that they've won? And, you know, they're, they're big hurdles. They've never been able to get past that division round, divisional round. Now they've got to go to Kansas City and play um, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like one of the most incredible plays we've seen with that Deshaun Watson play evaded, you know, guys sprinting right at him into what should have been a sack or we thought was going to be a sack. And, Managed to escape, managed to complete it. Um, incredible job by him. And, and he's incredible. We've known that all year. But the team itself, I'm, I'm not quite as convinced based on what we saw against the Bills that they're going to stand too much of a chance uh, against Kansas City. They started really slow. They didn't really deserve to be in the game the way that they were. Um, the Bills obviously left a ton of points on the board and, and they should be kicking themselves because they dominated um, the first half of that game. Um, and I mean, the Texans can make really dynamic plays, uh, at points, but I don't think that they're a complete enough team to really, uh, compete against the chiefs or, or I think they'll compete, but I don't think they're going to beat them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy that we get to watch Deshaun Watson against Patrick Mahomes. I think that'll be really fun and exciting that, uh, for everybody to see, but, um, I wasn't convinced by this game that the Texans are a huge threat throughout the playoffs in the AFC. Yeah. And I think they, I, I think we'll get a little bit more into the divisional matchups later this week on our bonus pod. Um, but this is going to be a lot. This game is going to be very different than the first two, the first time these two teams played. You know, I just think they're kind of heading in a little bit of different directions. Um, you know, just in terms of the guys that the Chiefs didn't have the first time they met. And mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes certainly limited the first time they played each other, even though the game was at Arrowhead. 
So now let's get into these NFC games. There was a huge upset in New Orleans this weekend. The Vikings knocked off the Saints. Lindsay, you were there. It was a very exciting game. There was some controversy at the end. There was a lot going on. What? Uh, tell us about the experience being there in the Superdome, seeing the Saints have this very uh, unexpected and early playoff exit, and then what you saw uh, from the unexpected Vikings, who are now moving on in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. I will say, like, when we were, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit when, you know, our athletic staff was trying to figure out where we were all going to go, which games we wanted to cover. You know, I picked that game because I really wanted to see the Saints because I thought the Saints were the best team in the NFC. And if you look back at our power rankings last week, um, I had the Ravens and Chiefs at one and two, but then I had the Saints at number three, the highest ranked NFC team. You know, I was talking to friends who live in New Orleans about, like, you know, maybe we should make plans for in two weeks because I think the NFC championship game could be here. I totally thought they were going to beat the Vikings. And then I thought they were going to go to Green Bay and win, um, win in the divisional round. And then, you know, who knows what happens? And they, they could be back hosting the NFC championship game. But, you know, unlike the last two years, and I was at those games, I was at the Minnesota Miracle in the divisional round two years ago. I was at the NFC championship game last year. Um, this was not a fluky loss for the Saints. I mean, the Vikings went out. They were the better team for, I would say, probably at least 45 minutes of that game. Um, there was a little bit in the first quarter where, you know, the Adam Thielen had that fumble on like the third play from scrimmage and the Saints were able to um, actually didn't score a touchdown after that, which was a huge win for the Vikings defense that they only gave up three points there. Um, but largely the Vikings, I mean, they had a better game plan. Kirk Cousins was the better quarterback. Um, I think both defensive lines from both teams played really well, but the the Vikings had a ridiculously good um, defensive game plan and their their pass rushers were excellent, um, especially early in that game. I mean, Drew, Ble- Drew Brees was very bad for much of that game and as was, as was most of their offense, but Brees was especially bad and that a lot of that was attributed to um, Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin just having a really, really good game and a great game hunt for Mike Zimmer to move them inside um, on passing downs, whereas they were rushing kind of from the interior instead of being edge rushers. And um, they played Raul Eric Kendricks had a really good game. Um, their safety, Anthony Harris, really helped them kind of make up the make up for having such weaknesses at cornerback. Um, and then the thing that we have to talk about is Kirk Cousins. He was really, really good for much of that game. And, you know, I mean, I think there's, you know, when we looked at that matchup going in, you would think, why could, why are the Vikings going to lose this game? And you'd say, well, Kirk Cousins doesn't win these kind of games. And he went out and he won that game. Chad Graff, our beat writer for the Athletic Minnesota, wrote a really good story about Kirk Cousins out of the locker room after that game, really got into the overtime throw that he made to Adam Thielen. Um, but I, I can't almost, I can't even remember how many times I turned to the guys sitting next to me in the press box and said like, holy crap, that was a really good throw. I mean, like there was a throw in the third quarter where he just got blasted. I mean, if he had let go of the ball, um, or if he had held onto the ball 0.2 seconds longer, you know, it would have been a strip sack, but instead he, you know, gets hit, hits Adam Thielen for, you know, 30 or 40 yard gain, um, you know, just consistently came up with the really big throws. And I mean, that, that throw in overtime to, uh, to Adam Thielen that set up the game winning touchdown was as good a throw as you've seen from anybody in the NFL this year, any year. I mean, it was, it was a great play call, great play design, and then a perfect throw, perfect catch. I mean, it was just, it was excellent, and nobody was counting on Kirk Cousins to make those um, those sorts of um, those sorts of plays. So, I mean, I think that's really what I saw from the Vikings was a team that went out and 
just flat out won that game. Yeah. There was, you know, yeah, sorry, Amy, go ahead. No, 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 I'm saying I, I we kind of saw what the Vikings paid him for, right? It's like this was what they thought they were going to yeah. get when they went out and, Finally. and got Kirk Cousins, and it came at the best possible time for the Vikings. And and obviously a moment that was talked about a bit after it happened um, was the touchdown in overtime, Kyle Rudolph. Uh, there was some controversy that it could have been flagged for offensive pass interference, that there was some hand fighting going on. I don't know how you feel about it, Lindsay. I was personally yeah. very happy that it wasn't flagged. I, that it hasn't really been flagged yeah. all year. It would have been. It would have felt to me like just the ultimate makeup call, and you can't really like change the past by punishing the Vikings for something like that. It's just it's not consistent with what they've been calling all year. They said they did look at it, and it didn't rise uh, to to a foul for them. And I'm I'm happy that that was the decision that they made. I, I think it would have been really unfortunate if that had been um, not counted um, at that moment, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and I think I remember walking. Um, I mean, how the sausage gets made. The Superdome is a is a it's it's a fun place to watch a game. It's a pain to cover a game there because they have these like t- t- teeny tiny, really antiquated elevators. So it takes a very long time to get from the press box to the locker rooms from like logistics. So I was walking like through the stands. Basically, there's like these stairwells here with fans, and I heard people on the way down, like a couple people being like, "Oh, they should have reviewed it." But for the most part, it was just like people were just sad. Like they just knew that they lost. And like, I remember at that, you know, there was a little bit as soon as the game ended um, and it was clear that they weren't going to do an official replay review. I mean, the players were out on the field and it, it was pretty quiet in the, in the Superdome and, over the PA system, the the announcer comes out and says, like, a reminder to fans, don't throw anything on the field. And I didn't see any of that thing that happening, but it, it wasn't to the extent last year. Like, I remember last year going like, oh, crap, I hope those officials have like armored guards to get them out of New Orleans right now because people were so angry. And this was just kind of like resigned um, that the locker room was dead silent, like dead silent like you could only whisper and it becomes this weird thing when you're losing locker rooms like the reporters use these really weird tones of like so can you take me back through how you feel it's just it's this is like awkward like you're at a funeral kind of thing but it was really quiet it took a really long time for a couple guys to kind of get to the point where they could stand around and talk and then there were some great Demario davis um, talked um, kind of uh, at length. It was at the very end, but Jared Cook talked a lot. I mean, there were there were guys who kind of stood up and talked about what they were feeling and what happened. And the only guy in there that I heard that actually like even kind of remotely tried to blame the refs and argue that that should have been a pass interference was Cam Jordan. And it almost felt out of place because nobody else was like, that's why we lost. I think everybody else realized, you know what, they lost because their offensive line got pushed around a lot and Drew Brees was under constant pressure. They lost because they didn't have any other explosive offensive weapons. They didn't have anybody who could kind of take the top off the Vikings defense and exploit the weaknesses that they had in co- at cornerback. Um, that, you know, Drew Brees had two turnovers. It was first two turnover game of the year. His interception was really, really bad. That one right before halftime where the Vikings were able to drive down and score a touchdown to actually take a lead at halftime. I think they were leading 13-10 uh, before ultimately going up 20-10. And um, yeah, I mean, I so ultimately what I ended up writing after the game was because I, I wasn't in New England and I'd wanted to be in New England too, but obviously could only go to one game, was that it was just it was just a really bad weekend for 
the, these old quarterbacks. And now we're moving into wild or divisional round weekend with kind of a, a new group of quarterbacks, largely. I mean, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, like Rodgers and Wilson. Wilson is 31. Rodgers is 36. Um, so Rodgers is really kind of the, the, the last of like the old guard of quarterbacks. But this was a rough year. I mean, Philip Rivers, what, he was like second in the league in interceptions this year. Who knows what's going to happen with him this year? Ben Roethlisberger on IR almost the entire season. Eli Manning got benched. He's almost certainly done. So these guys that are like 38, 39, 40 years old, it really finally feels like it's becoming final. Like we'll probably see another year out of Rivers. We'll probably see another year out of Brady and Brady and Breeze, but it just feels a lot more final in that this next generation of quarterbacks that we've kind of really been waiting for to come in mass is is here. And I think it's it's really exciting that we're moving into divisional round weekend now with um yeah, we, we're going to get this awesome. I mean, Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers, Packers Seahawks, that game is going to be awesome. Like that is by far, I mean, I I just think that game is really really interesting, but Jimmy Garoppolo has played a hell of a year. I think he should win comeback player of the year. Kirk Cousins is coming off the best game, you know, his his first playoff win. You know, we're getting Mahomes versus Watson in one of the AFC games. Um, Ryan Tannehill, really surprised. I mean, I don't I, I think people are going to vote for him for comeback player of the year. I think Garoppolo deserves it more because Tannehill's coming back from sucking, not from tearing his ACL uh, like Garoppolo did. Um, I can say in Lamar our, Jackson. Oh, so I was just going to quickly say that in our staff voting, I can confirm that Ryan Tannehill is the runaway choice for breakout player of the year. Is he? Yeah. Oh, for break. Oh, for breakout oh, sorry, player. For, for comeback, comeback sorry, player. Comeback, not breakout. Comeback. That's what I meant. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm just. So that's a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for, for later this, uh, week, this week's file. Yeah. And I'm, di- I'm disappointed in my colleagues <laughs> because. He's coming back from play. He's coming, <laughs> coming back, back from, from playing for Adam Gase. <laughs> He's coming back from Adam, from playing for Adam Gase. But um, yeah, so I mean, so yeah, he could be, and we'll see. the uh, The AP voters also vote on comeback player of the year. That's um, that's something that will be announced um, later, I guess. I don't know if that comes out at. Does that come out? That must be at NFL Honor. So that comes out. But, you know, but it was just it was just kind of sad to watch, um, you know, the end of these this era. And but I'm I'm pretty excited for NFL wildcard weekend. Um, a couple of matchups I'm excited about. I'm, I'm going to Kansas City. I'm going to see Texans Chiefs. Um, but both NFC games, I think, look really awesome. Um, I'm very, very curious to watch those. I mean, I think there's some really fun storylines going on with the Niners and Vikings. We've got. You know, Kirk Cousins against Kyle Shanahan when, you know, those those guys had have a pretty deep history together. We've got Kyle Shanahan versus an offense that's coached by largely, you know, very heavily influenced by Gary Kubiak and Shanahan, you know, while he did work for his dad, Mike Shanahan in Washington, really he came up as a coach while working for Gary Kubiak. So their offenses have a lot of the same uh components and core plays and philosophies and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm I'm really curious to see the defensive game plan that Mike Zimmer is able to put together. I was just so impressed with what he did against the Saints. So I'm really curious to see how he's going to prepare for um, Shanahan. And if, um, you know, if the insight that Gary Kubiak has to what Shanahan likes to do, if that's going to influence that game plan. So I'm really excited for that game. Um, and I definitely I think the Seahawks can go in and win. At Green Bay, right? Yeah, I, I mean, think so. I mean, the the game against the Eagles was kind of it was a slog fest just because Wentz got hurt and all of that. It wasn't the literally necessarily the best indication of what the Seahawks can do, but I definitely think they're equipped to beat Green Bay, and I I think that game is going to be very intriguing. 
So that'll be one. Yeah, and I think we'll get a little bit more into some of these divisional round matchups and look into some more of the playoff stuff coming up later in the week in our bonus podcast. But before we get out of here, let's uh, let's do our power up, power down. I know this wasn't a normal uh, structure of a podcast for us today, but I think we we definitely got to close it out with our power up, power down. Power up, power down. Amy, do you want to lead us off? Yeah, I'll lead us off. So um, I have a power up. I, I have a power down that I'm not going to say today. I want to wait and see what the Browns do with their coaching choice. But as mentioned before, we do need to get into in the future some some very big problems with the, the hiring system in the NFL. But that's not going to be my power down today. I'm going to wait and see what the Browns end up doing. Uh, my power up today, someone we just recently talked about, Kirk Cousins. Um, just really happy for him. Glad he got this big win. Glad he got the pressure off his back. And there was a great video that circulated afterward in the locker room of him saying, you know, like, I got three words for you. Like, you like that? And then everybody lost their minds. <laughs> like, like, his voice yeah, cracked. Yeah, like, cracked. Like, and oh, it, the best part it. about it is not even him saying it. It's just like the team just lost their minds screaming and like tackling him. And it was just really fun. It just felt, it was a great moment. It was just really fun to see them all but get so excited about it and, and have some fun together. And we'll see. Maybe maybe the Vikings are a team that uh, could, could be the sneaky run through the postseason this year. We'll see. Shoot, why not? I mean... You know, I, I don't think the NFC is super top heavy. I think any of the teams left, especially now that the Saints are out and we saw that the Saints are vulnerable, any of those teams, I think, yeah. um, could win. So um, I'm going to power up to a quarterback who's no longer in the playoffs, um, but Josh McCown. Josh McCown. Um, who had to Love come Josh in. McCown. Yeah. Josh McCown, 40 years old, has played for approximately 47 NFL teams in his career, but he made his first playoff appearance. He played his first playoff snaps um, on Sunday night when he had to replace Carson Wentz. And, you know, you could just tell that, like, you know, he he wasn't expecting to play in that game. He was getting hit. He kept getting up. He was gimping, you know, limping all over the field. Um, but he just, like, played his heart out. And I was sitting there in the press box in New Orleans, like, writing this column about, like, all the new young quarterbacks who are taking us into the divisional round. And I'm like, holy crap, Josh McCown is going <laughs> to mess this column up for us. And, um, you know, by making it. But it was just really inspiring to watch him and like look remember he he had signed on with ESPN this summer like he was going to be um, an ESPN analyst he was I believe he was going to be on like the Monday Night Countdown set I believe I mean he was fully ready to like move into his media career and then uh, the the Eagles had some backup quarterback injuries in training camp and they called Josh McCown he said sure I'm going to be there and you know there's just guy. There's some guys that you always see them play in the playoffs and stuff, and it's just incredible that Josh McCown had never taken a postseason snap before, and he got to do it. And he just there were just these most incredibly like heartbreaking videos of him like breaking down after the game. He was so emotional. He really truly like had nothing left to give. Um, and he's just he's he's one of those guys who everybody's played with him, and played against him, like loves him, respects him. Um, I respect the hell out of him as a player. Um, and uh, it was just really cool to see, even though, you know, he didn't win uh, and, and the Eagles didn't win, but it was just really fun to see how much he appreciated that opportunity. So uh, power up to you, Josh McCown, and curious and excited to see what comes next for him if he if he comes back for one more year as a backup quarterback or if he f- officially moves into that broadcast career that he was kind of already preparing for. All right. So that wraps up uh, this week's episode of our Power Rankings podcast. Thank you to all of our guests who came on. Thanks to Dan and to Kent uh, for wrapping uh, uh, for wrapping up the many events that have gone down this week with all the coaching changes and the games. Uh, and we will be back later this week um, to do a bonus podcast where we talk a little bit more about the divisional round matchups that we're very excited for. So we will see you guys then. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.